0: Eagles Entertainment.
1: Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: Anything that moves, I don't care it is. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time.
1: Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're going into the mind of a pass rusher today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 317. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with longtime NFL defensive end and former Eagle Chris Long to talk about the art of pass rushing. We're going to talk about traits that matter and stuff like that, but I'm most excited to talk with Chris about how players develop at that position, what are some things that can improve, and what does that look like on film? He's going to share some great stories with us, and it's a conversation I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Before we get going there with Chris in Chalk Talk, just a couple of quick things I wanted to hit on. First up, I wanted to remind you guys once again to head on over to our Apple Podcast page and leave us a rating, leave us a comment, keep those questions coming. You guys have done such a great job all off-season long of filling up that comment column uh, on over, over on our Apple Podcast page with questions, suggestions, things you want to hear here on the show, and now's the time. Keep those questions coming because it gives us more ideas. And Look, at the end of the day, we're trying to make you guys happy. We're trying to give you what you want. So if you've got a topic that you want us to talk about, whether it's here on Chalk Talk or in the episode later in the week with Ben where we do our Scouting Report segment, now's the time. Jump on Apple Podcasts, leave that in the comment section, and we will get to it uh, here in an upcoming show. Lastly, I also want to give you guys a heads up on what's coming up. Over on the Journey to the Draft podcast this week, we're going to be talking about the top linebackers in this upcoming NFL Draft. And I know that's a position Eagles fans always love talking about. And this draft has a handful of guys that are really, really interesting. Uh, so myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, we're going to be breaking that down in earnest tomorrow, Tuesday. So... Make sure you go subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, Greg Cosell is going to drop by later this week as well. We always have great guests on throughout the course of the week. So uh, make sure you go subscribe to that podcast wherever podcasts can be found. Again, that's the Journey to the Draft podcast. All right, with all that out of the way, let's get this show started. It's time now to kick things off right now with Chris Long in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, excited to welcome in former Eagles defensive end, Chris Long, here to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Chris, thanks for joining me, man. Dude, great great to uh, connect with you. it been, been a while. Yeah, no question. So uh, we're going to talk about pass rushers today and kind of building a pass rusher from the ground up. So we'll talk about traits that matter and qualities that you feel are most important. And I, I guess I want to start things off with a question I love asking people, and that's when people talk about pass rushers, whether it's fans, the media, is there an underrated part of being a successful pass rusher that you feel just isn't talked about enough or broken down enough uh, on the outside looking in?
0: Well, I think handwork is one that it's almost so elementary for us. I don't know how other people view it. Right. Um, You know, handwork is big, but as I often discovered in the league, it's not enough to just have handwork. I mean, you talk about, You know, players, ankle flexion, their explosiveness off the ball, how much how much ground they gain with that first step. So, you know, it could be hip mobility at the top of the rush length, power, a combination of like an Aaron Donald who has um, leverage because he's short. No offense to my dude, uh, but he has long arms. So it's like a deadly combination. So effectively, he's very tall. Right. And he plays tall, but he plays with little guy leverage. So, the thing I love about pass rushing is it's as variable as any position on the field. And it's like an art form, and everybody has a different kind of signature. And you can discern exactly who it is. If you took the number off the jersey and the colors off the uniform and you gave me a silhouette, I'd feel like I'd know most rushers.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's such a fun position. And uh, as you mentioned, guys come in all different shapes and sizes. And, uh, you know, there are certain core qualities that I feel uh, you, you kind of see around the league and around college football. When you look at from a pure athleticism standpoint, like a yeah. physical tool standpoint, what would you feel is the most important one of those? Is there one thing, whether it's that first step quickness, that ability to gain ground, uh, that flexibility, power balance? Is it, is it something else like Which do you feel is is most important? I guess it's going to change from guy to guy, but is there something universally you feel uh, is most important to those guys?
0: Well, I think if you look at most dynamic rushers in the NFL and you tried to correlate, you know, what do most of them have? I think most of them have twitchy first step. They have that get-off that you can see on film. You can really see it in college. And then the pros less so because everybody's a little bit more twitchy, but they still pop off the film. At some point in their career, if you're a really good rusher, you could turn the tape on and be like, that guy is shot out of a cannon. Um, but it's not enough to just be that, right? I mean, you have guys that get off the ball great and can't quite turn the corner um, for a number of reasons. One might be uh, they're not great Great at running on the side of their foot. Maybe they don't get turned well. Their ankle flexion a lot of times is one that I think is one of the most underrated kind of minutiae things with the rusher. Um, there's very few relative to the quick guys, guys that just don't have a good first step. Those guys have to overcome stuff. Those guys are effectively like veteran, older players. Like the way you know I felt old when I was older in Philly, uh, the way I felt in Philly – at the end of my career, I knew what it was like all of a sudden to not have like insane burst or like that first step. And you have to get even craftier than you were before. And I think that's why when you see a rusher, who's not that quick off the ball, it's always fun to dig into what's in their arsenal and how are they overcoming that?
1: Hmm. Uh, We always talk a lot about uh, having a plan as a pass rusher. And we've talked with different position coaches and a former defensive lineman Uh, in your mind. What does that mean if you talk about a guy just having a plan as a pass rusher?
0: I think the number one thing is is, is not only knowing who you are um, as a rusher, but most importantly, knowing who you're not. And you think so many times as a rusher, you're pulled in so many directions from a guy. Look at this comp. You know, I, I think we have such shallow analysis oftentimes of, Yes, uh, Von Miller is one of the greatest rushers to ever play the game. Um, he's already trending that way. But for instance, um, I can't learn much from him because I can't do the things he can do. And so, if if I have a rookie in my room, I'm not just gonna um, make an automatic judgment fit on who he should watch. I need to tailor that to that player and his skill set. And oftentimes it's not that simple because I think one of the biggest things that annoys the hell out of me and always annoyed me was the bad comparisons between rushers just because they're the same size mm. or sometimes the same color. If you're sure. a white guy, you know, for like ten years there, you were you were it was Kearney, uh, it was Campman, and then it was me, <laughs> and now it's Nick Bosa gets to get all those comparisons and Joey and those guys. So I just think so often we just look at a guy, the shape of the guy, the height of the guy, and we say this guy is gonna rush like you know that guy because they look the same to me. And that's not the case. And so I think one of the biggest things we do is we try to force feed kids like, do it like this guy. Mm-hmm. Pass rushing is such an art and there's so many styles and there's so many body types. Um, so I think number one, knowing who you're not, there was a time in my career where you know I my body was changing. I had overcome some injuries and on the back half of my career, I was not the same shot out of the cannon rusher that I was before. So what did that do? I was living less on my inside move. I was living less on a swipe and just burning the edge at seven yards and just beating a guy. There was a point where I could beat a guy to a spot, but after a few injuries and some years, you start to evaluate, okay, who am I? I'm not that guy anymore. And that could hurt my ego. But what's going to really hurt is if I can't rush anymore because I'm too stubborn. So I need to change the way I rush and the tools that I use. And I changed my toolbox.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things I was gonna ask you. It was just like what what were some of those breaking points in your career where kind of like a light went on or you just feel like you you made the biggest jump? Uh, was there uh, one early on that you that you had? Yeah. What were some of those points for you?
0: There were those aha moments all through, you know, my career. And I'm sure if you asked any rusher, um, you know, coming out of Virginia, I was a high pick. Um, and I, you know. I was twitchy. I was all that stuff, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing in a four three because I was like really a three, four rusher. And then I'd get out on the edge and sub, but in college, if you're not drilling true, like first and second down pass rush every day, you just, you might have some natural instincts instincts, but you're not going to have certain mechanisms when you get to league that are going to help you turn your hips or finish a rush. So when I got to camp, you know, I was twitchy. I was explosive, but, um, I didn't have like a move to get the edge against pro competition. And so Leonard little, uh, and I had some great vets in my room, Leroy Glover, Leonard little, James hall. uh, I had Fred Robbins early on too. Those guys all kind of took me under their wing and showed me different moves that, you know, could help. And it was one of those things where it was like, try this, try that. Well, Leonard little taught me or emphasized to me that I think a way for you to get the edge and to get around the tackles upfield shoulder is going to be to try the side scissors, which is basically a swipe. Yeah. You know, you see, you might see BG do it. BG does it. And like, he'll swipe for both hands at the same time. So yeah. he'll swipe the inside and the outside hand. Like I was a guy who liked to swipe the outside hand. And I believe that because I could get the upfield shoulder. And if you can get the upfield shoulder, shoulder, there might be no point into crossing back over a guy's midpoint and trying to get the in, inside uh, hand. So Long story short, that taught me how to turn my hips. And it was that one teachable moment that was like, aha, okay, if I do this, now I have a bunch of counters off this. If I can not only scare people with my quickness, and they also respect my ability to get the edge and keep it, then I have counters. And so it all kind of went and went from there. And then when I was older, I mean, and I was slowing down. I stopped getting the upfield shoulder as much. So I had to get to my counters differently. Like, so I had a nice spin move, um, but I used to do it off a of chop. So I get up to the upfield shoulder and I'd chop and try to go almost shoulder to shoulder, almost like I was playing tag with the guy's shoulder, with my shoulder, lean in, make it look like I'm dipping. And then, you know, obviously my outside leg, the left leg is gonna, is gonna trail around and kind of pirouette and I pin him problem was I couldn't get the field shoulder and people didn't respect it. So I'd be spinning in place. And so I got to get creative. So what I started to work on was, a, was a stab, uh, spin. And I got a lot of mileage out of the stab spin in the last four <laughs> years of my career, you know, and, you know, four functional years or whatever you want to call it. But, um, that was one example of kind of, okay, can't do this anymore. Be real with yourself. Let's, let's pick a new thing.
1: So how long did it take when you were, all right, I'm going to put in the stab swim how long did it take you to kind of work on that through practice before you were willing to say, okay, like I'm going to try this in a game. How long was that process? Well,
0: not, not long at all, honestly, because it was one of those things where I could always, there's one thing I could always do my whole career, even if I was 250 pounds and nobody knew it was I could put the stab in somebody's chest and walk them back. Mm. Like you wouldn't expect. Yep, And that's all timing and leverage. And that's, well, it's timing more than anything and it's accuracy and it's where you're going to put your. So I've repped that thousands of times. Mm-hmm. I've worked a stab complex thousands of times where, you know, I come off the ball, tackles up, up ahead of me and he's crossed my body and he's deep. Well, I'm going to put that stab on his inside breastplate and open him up. And that's going to be, you know, uh, inside, you know, people call it a bull rush, but not all bull rushes are the same. It's not like right. I put my face mask in his chest. This is, I've got him running. He's ready to fly 15 yards up the field. I'm going to just put that pickaxe in there. So I've had that training. Um, and I already, you know, worked that where if he was floating on a stab and continue to backpedal, I was going to keep pushing him. And if he sets and stops his feet, then it's stab pulling by, like almost a jerk by. Mm-hmm. So I had those two elements. Now I have a counter. So it actually didn't take me that long um, to develop that. And like I said, you you get mileage out of it. You just try to make it as easy as possible on yourself. Cause as you get older too, something you gotta be cognizant of is you don't have the, the bandwidth physically to take a thousand reps in a game week. Sure. Or, you know, in training camp, like you pick your spots. So to get full speed reps, that's really how you learn. Um, It's hard. So you, you gotta pick your spots.
1: You know, it's so funny. Like, uh, for our listeners, they they know I've made a lot of comparisons between playing defensive back and offensive line, and I think same uh, inverse. I think with pass rushers and receivers, the company the you know thing I've talked about a lot is with speed receivers. It's one thing to just have speed. It's but it's then it's the understanding of saying like, look, the defensive back knows that I've got the ability to run right by him. I've got four yeah. three speed. He knows, but now I can use that to my advantage. And you're talking about hey, like if they know that I've got the ability to get the edge. Well, now I can work off that. And I know that I've got those counters in my toolbox to be able to win. At what point did you have that kind of like aha moment where you're like, yeah, like, all right, it's going to start here, but it's then going to branch off. And now I've got all these other clubs in my back.
0: Well, it's funny because, you know, early in my career, I remember I was rushing Jeff Gandy, uh, who was a Cardinals tackle. And like my first two years started slow, like being number two, picking the drafts and looking up on the scoreboard. And like the first year I had five sacks or whatever. And the second year, and we were really bad. So I wasn't, I was sweating it, but at the same time I understood like we really suck right now and it's hard to get any rushes and that sort of thing. But second half of my second year, I I was looking down the barrel of it really. I mean, I had zero sacks through seven games. Imagine that as the number two pick your second year. Thank God the market I played in wasn't like a big market. Yeah. Um, but the trade-off was, yeah, I mean, we weren't very good. And so, I just remember the second half of that year, I kind of went on a little bit of a mini tear for myself and had like four or five sacks and finished the season strong. And that catapulted me into a four-year period where I got 40. But to start that four-year period, I had to have certain epiphanies like the ones you're talking about where it wasn't just like, it wasn't just try new stuff. It was also stop trying to be perfect. Mm. You know, don't be afraid to, um, to, 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 to have a couple of rushes that look bad because you're trying stuff. And the only way to do that is sometimes in a game. And I remember Jeff Gandy after a game where I beat him for a sack was like, hey, man, you're going to be a great player or whatever. Like, here's here's my best advice to you because I'm about to retire because we've been playing each other a little <laughs> bit. He's like, save your home run. He's like, set me up. Don't be afraid to waste rushes and set me up you know, and then save that one rush for a big situation. He goes, cause right now you're winning. You're you're, you got a lot of pretty good rushes and then, you know, like you've used that bullet um, when it's time. And so that was always a struggle for me because especially as your reps get cut later, when you're not, you know, a 60 snap a game guy back before they had like D lines rotating, it was like 60, 70 snaps a game. And you had the, you could fail and fail and set people up. When you get older, when you're a young player and you don't have a certain amount of reps because you're not highly paid, you're like, shit, like, can I try stuff this game? Like, if I get 10 pass rush snaps, I can't waste three setting people up. And I think that's one of the hardest things. And also there was another thing is like offensive linemen change. So when I was young, or most rushers probably tell you this, when we got in the league in 2008, everybody was a puncher you know, everybody was trying to punch your head off. Yep. And that swipe was a really nice answer to that. So I would swipe guys and beat them at three yards and be in the backfield for a sack. The problem was people start pulling their hands back and people start varying their punches, which leaves their chest open. So the whole chess match then became, like, as the game was changing, just like the run game was changing, tackles were changing the way they were setting. Okay, what can I counter... For when I miss with a swipe, what do I do? I got to I got to dip under and get to a rip right away. Or if he's high on me, I got to go like uh, like that, that uh, loaded up straight arm that comes from like your back hip and you push him by. It's kind of like a push by. So as the the offensive lines change, you also have to change the way you rush.
1: is that something that you kind of partake on some of those younger guys? Like if you look back you know, to the later stages of your career, um, what was that process like for you in terms of trying to coach up young guys in the room?
0: I loved it, man. I loved it. You know, I would love to coach if it weren't for the hours and not being able to live right where (laughs) I want to live, which is home. Uh, But I mean, I just, I took pride. I think there's certain parts of leadership that are like, you see it, all the fans see it, you know, like you walk out to to the 50 yard line, you, you know, you fire the team up and certainly like, you know, we all had our break. We broke down the huddle and that sort of thing. But like the, the part of leadership that I would be most proud of is if you ask young players, what kind of a vet I was to them, I would hope they would say that I was somebody that looked out for them and somebody that, because I was literally in that chair and I was in that chair as this high draft pick who was, was, quite frankly, like ready to do whatever it took, but nervous about maybe I don't know everything. And what if my coach doesn't know? Because position coaches aren't always right. You know, that's the thing. Like we assume always that NFL coaches are infallible because they have a job as an NFL position coach. That is not true, especially in some positions like D-line. And so like, maybe that kid's not getting his question answered. I can see that kid like frustrated because the coach is frustrated. He's pissed off. He's been in meetings for 16 hours. He doesn't have time to answer your stupid little question. You're, you're a kid who, who's probably going to be cut after camp. Like, so down to that kid, like I think veterans should take care of that kid because the coach doesn't have the bandwidth or the patience or sometimes the, the knowledge. And so Being older players, you have a responsibility to give everybody a fair shot, and and that is like coach them up sometimes.
1: Over the course of your career and you're dealing with young players as they're coming in and you're coaching those guys up, is there an area like overall, and all all guys are different in terms of how they were coached when they were in college, but is there one area where like, all right, like I know when a guy comes in for the first time, he's going to have to get better in this area, that area, that area. Is there like a, a consistent theme there? I would say
0: hands, honestly. Yeah. You asked me off the top what the most underrated thing is, and somehow it's become hands. <laughs> um, and I'm not talking about, like, going and doing, like, karate um, and and MMA. Like, that stuff's good. That's hand-eye. But unless you're sprinting uh, while you're working those hands, like, it's just not the same thing. And it can certainly help. Um, but I don't think there's any substitute for real football hand work coaching. And um, I think it's easy to imitate real football handwork coaching. I think one of the most, the easiest things you could imitate is like a drill that looks like we're working. Um, And the head coach is looking over and the guys are just violent with their hands. And they're just like, I've done drill after drill that I was like, "Uh." and so, you know, that college coaches aren't necessarily always getting, there's some great coaches. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying I could do it any better, but I'm just saying like, College players that are coming to the pros need to work on their hands. And a lot of times you take them out for the first time. And, and, and I'm talking about hands in the run game, which should be elementary. We've sat here and talked about the pass rush because, and I don't know what it's going to be like in five, 10 years, but a defensive end in my position, if you could just not play the run, like you can't be a, a true defensive end. Like you're a backer, you're something else. But And so one of the biggest things about stopping the run is your hand placement. And if you can be incredibly accurate with that, with those two hands and they're right in the breastplate, you're always going to have a chance, but guys come in and we got to do stuff like we've had to do with younger guys before, like put one of those weight room ankle bands around a dude's arms. Mm. Like um, Joe Osman used to want to work on this. And so Joe Osman would work his ass off after practice. He'd come out with that green band and put it around his hands because like He knew that if he improved his hand placement as a smaller guy, he was always going to have a chance. And so, like, there are tricks to trade, but, like, young guys like a Joe Osman who really want to get it done, they got to make the effort.
1: So you mentioned Joe Osman there. I want to ask you about Josh Sweat, another young uh, Eagles defensive end that you got to, got a chance to overlap with as well. Uh, what have you seen from Josh over the course of his career? Because I have found his development to be really intriguing. What have you seen from him early, and what have you seen from him uh, since you left the Novacare Complex? Josh Sweat, he is, if he hadn't hurt his knee, I
0: mean, he would deserve all the highest um, expectations. Sure in my, in my book, like he is a hall of fame, talented player. Now, I don't know how much of a grind the knee is now. Um, he was kind of working through it early on, but you could see right away that you were like, if this kid ever figures it out, everybody on this field's in trouble. Mm. And like, he's just that gifted. Um, and it's exciting to see him kind of learn to use it on the field on game day. Cause there is a big difference. He was whipping people in practice. Right. Um, Now he's got to take it to the game.
1: Yeah, he's a guy like you talked about, just trying to build off of that initial rush and like watching him develop from year one to year two to year three with like that long arm move, and then he'd go like stab, swat, dip move, and he's working some different counters off of that one go to, which is just been cool to be able to watch a guy who comes in, he was a fourth round pick, but continue to just kind of build off of you know success from year two to year three. He'd
0: have been a top five for sure if, if he didn't hurt his knee, and like, and you said it correctly, like if you can get a guy who's that long and that quick and that fast and bends that well to understand the stab complex and like use it. And he's, he's trying to be really violent. If you notice like Josh sweat, he's worked really hard on being violent with that, that arm that comes down on the arm that responds to the stab, like that outside arm. Like I love seeing how violent he's trying to be with his hands. And I mean, you know, another really good kid too. So they've done it. I know that people have criticized Derek and I know that people probably probably want to see josh play more um but they did a pretty good job um with Derek barnett y- you know the, the thing they couldn't control is his durability now that's that's their homework to do but as far as it, a, a healthy Derek barnett to me is uh, is a guy you want on your team
1: you talk about defending the run and we're, we're at that time of year getting ready for the nfl draft and you know player acquisition all that stuff where you know the, the term three down player gets thrown around all the time especially for uh, along the defensive line oh this guy can be a three down guy he can't be a three down guy in your mind what does that mean honestly like you even talked about it, like without with all the rotating now uh all defensive lines across the league like does that even matter like at this point how, how do you kind of view that topic
0: man just the romantic side of me of like just defensive end play like I, there's always a value to having a guy that can kick your ass three plays in a row. And that's Joey Bosa. And that's Cam Jordan. Um, And it's Miles Garrett too. you know, Miles is, is ascending and I might be leaving, you know, Bradley Chubb. There's just, when I see a guy who's truly like a, a guy who can play, I think the number one thing is, can you play a base block? Mm. If you can't play a base block, like tackle blocks out and you can't, just play it without skating three, four yards. Um, and I'm talking about like the balls in the B gap, not stretch action. Then we got a problem, you know, um, you, you, you really want to be able to, if you want to be a three down player, be really adept at playing the tight end too, which is tricky. I think yeah. coaches always do this They're Like if that tight end blocks you, you should be ashamed. Like, yeah, there's something to that, but the angle's different. It's not the same as, you know, taking on a block from the uh, from the tackle, the angles a little different. The guys are a little better with their hands. Maybe the because because you're further away from the ball, um, they can use angles a little bit more. If you can play a six technique, if you can play a tight nine, and six technique's the toughest one. Not a lot of guys play over really well anymore.
1: Explain uh, that. So, explain a six-tech technique just for the, the listeners at home.
0: So, so like over defense, we played a lot in St. Louis early in Spagnola's defense. Uh, Spags is like that New York Giants front where tight end is outside the tackle. Um, you know, generally you're in a you're in a five technique with no tight end, which is you're right outside the tackle. Tight end comes over or comes out of the formation, uh, and if it's over, you're in a six technique, which is head up to inside eye of that tight end. And so your gap in the run game in most schemes is going to be C to D like D isn't truly your gap, um, but you better widen that play and help the force defender make that play. Um, And you better help on the inside shoulder of a tackle. um, If it goes off tight end, a nine technique is obviously when you hear about like Jim Schwartz's scheme where guys are just running around. Um, I, I think, Over defense is is a nice wrinkle to have if you want to be a 4-3 defensive end. And the guys I mentioned, they can all do that. They can, And some guys can reduce down to like a 4-I. We used to play in a 4-I in St. Louis under Greg Williams. And like a tarantula defense is what we called it. So I think it's just cool when a guy can do a lot of different stuff. And we came up in in a time where that was a little bit more normal.
1: Did you have a a favorite technique that you liked lining up from when it just came to uh, getting after the quarterback, not necessarily having to worry about the run at this point?
0: You know, I just wanted to be a left end, you know, if it was time to rush. uh, That's where I played most of my ball. Uh, Honestly, a nine's great, but I'd rather just be me in the tackle. Mm. You know, like, you know, it's, it's, uh, I can play with my distance a little bit. I can, I can tighten down a little bit more. There's no chance I'm getting chipped. And that's part of the thing about being a left end is, and we're not just talking about third down, like there's a lot of traffic over there. You get a lot more big wing, which is really tough. It's tight end and a a tight end um, and a tight end uh, behind him. So you're like in a crease, like, which is tough. Those are all really tough techniques that you don't have to play on the right as much. So I would just say simple five technique, me and the tackle, man, left side.
1: A to b you're as close as possible uh, to the offensive or to the quarterback uh, yeah. outside the tackle uh, I know you're a big college football guy so you're watching college football you're watching a, a you know a good pass rusher a team with a great pass rusher you talked about a few things you do you, your ability to hold the point of attack uh, on a base block but are there non-negotiables for you where you watch a guy and you're like yeah I this guy's gonna have a, a lot of trouble playing in the league at least early on uh, if he doesn't have this one thing,
0: I hate to be cliche, man, but the one thing you can control is your effort. And um, if you got a guy who plays like his hair is on fire, I just I feel like you can do something with that guy. There's so many projects where you, where you want so badly to see a kid exhaust his potential. And maybe he doesn't want it that bad. He doesn't want it as, as much as everybody else. Like, that's so backwards, man. Like, a guy has to be so talented. Uh, for you to hold out hope that he's going to want it as bad as you as a coach or so I I, I, I think effort is, is the one for me and I love watching people swarm man like guys that celebrate with each other guys that like being a defensive lineman is so much about like being part of a brotherhood and the more you feed that the better that D-line is going to be and I think like any good D-line I was on it felt like we were we were family and so that's a key, too. You're going to bring a guy in who's like a, a Chase Young. You want a guy to be a Chase Young. You know what the best thing I think Chase Young does? He plays his ass off and he seems like a good team player, you know, Um, and that's what gives him a chance.
1: Well, and that's what like the the identity of this the, this room in, here in Philadelphia. I mean, with BG and with Fletch, their whole time that they've been here, that has been kind of the identity. Certainly every, every year that you were here, I mean, that was you would see that that personality like jumps off the film. Was that yes. something that you guys like talked about or was that just kind of like an unspoken thing that, Hey, like, you know, if Josh Sweat comes in as a rookie, like, Hey, get, like you, you have to play this way or does that guy, is it through osmosis that he just gets it? Like, he, he, that's the only way I'm going to stick.
0: You know, I, I think, I think energy is contagious. Yeah. I think when you bring energy uh, and BG brings his own energy, you know, Fletch brought his own energy. I brought my own energy. Um, you know, even guys like Bo on that run brought a certain energy to that room that you just, you can't, it's really hard to describe, man. It was just, a, it's a, to be on a defensive line that people fear on, in any capacity is really fun. It's just a fun thing, man. Like you crash people's party, you laugh doing it. Um, and you do everything together. You try to ideally, and that's hard at the pro level because everybody's got families and different things they're up to. But the more you can do off the field, when you're in a room that really loves each other, you stay late. like you just sit around in the line room when it's time to go and you don't even have to be doing stuff. like in St. Louis, we used to sit in there for an hour and a half after meetings, not watching a single shred of film. <laughs> and when I say that after the game went we got finished on Sunday night, we all went out. And we all hung out and we were young enough to do it at that time. Sure, But like, that's the key, you know, and after losses, we all went out. We all hung out, you know, like we were sunny days, bad days. We were, we were tight.
1: And not even to mention just from an on-field standpoint, I mean, I just did a, a segment a couple weeks ago where we watched all the sacks for Aaron Donald, uh, TJ Watt and Trey Hendrickson, the guys that led the league in sacks this year. And two of those three guys, and it's not that Donald didn't play with sacks, but with Hendrickson and and Watt, I mean, so many of their of their sacks came from just pure effort and hustle. Like you know, that want to, you're going to get more production when you play that way as well.
0: Exactly. I mean, like if you don't give a listen, I had, and here's the thing about sacks. Sacks are definitely the thing that gets you paid. It's like a stubborn benchmark for any rusher that just won't go away. Listen, I had 70 in my career, and they were not all my best rushes. Right. Yep. Your best rushes usually are uh, long foul balls, like your best rushes. And this is one thing about being a rusher and in so many ways, like uh, has a lot to do with being any position on a football field. You don't control every ounce of your destiny in a play like the coverage behind you, the tackle. um, Is he going to do a good job pushing the pockets? The quarterback can't step up to four. Uh, if I'm a D tackle is my end running a tight hoop. So I I do get that step up. You don't always get the result, um, that you deserve, but if you bust your ass 50 plays a game, eventually you'll get a good break. And if I used to beat somebody for a sack that was cheap, I used to tell them that was for the other three times I kicked your ass. Cause it was just, (laughs) that's just the way it was. And so, and it'll always be that way. And so effort, You know, just just I love seeing on film when the right end strings a play out and the left end torpedoes the play from the backside. Like there might be barely a point to doing it, but it's just imposing your will as a defensive line.
1: Uh, i mean i was watching tj watt it would be like all right one sack uh the tight end chipped him inside into the b gap so he got a free rush but then uh the next play you'd watch and you know he'd get home and force the quarterback to step up right into cam hayward like you know what i mean like uh those kinds of plays uh, you see them all the time but
0: that's why uh, there's no there's no there's no uh substitute for tape like and i love the analytics and i love and i think one thing i love is that they track pressures and hits and like because those are real things, man. They they really are. Like some of the best plays you could ever make, they weren't even sacks. And so, so I just I I mean, like I, I think all that stuff is really important. And I love that people are really diving into even win rate, as imperfect as it could yeah. be. Um, th- these metrics are cool, but the tape is uh, is where you can really see who's who's shining. And taking into account, like if a player is winning a lot, where's the drop target? You know, like some people are like, what's a drop target? That's huge. If a quarterback's at 11, my son could get a sack. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? He's five. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, it just depends on, it depends on where you're, you're making your plays too, And that can instruct you on, like, if you're on a good streak and you think you're hot shit, like, maybe you should look at where you've been winning your rushes and who's been helping you win those rushes because maybe the tackle's being dominant or vice versa.
1: There's a reason why Tom Brady is like never sacked, and why his offensive line metrics are always super, super high. It's because he stays within that three foot boxy ring uh, right you behind. Know where the he's gonna be? It's working in. It's working
0: on one accord. No doubt. It's working on one accord, and that's why it can be frustrating. For that's why like a guy like Russell Wilson, who you hate playing, because you know he's gonna pull something out of his ass in the fourth quarter and beat you. But he's gonna make you money too, because he's gonna bounce around to try to make those plays, and so. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always a nuance when it comes to people getting home or not getting home.
1: Well, uh, Chris, you've been awesome with your time. Really, really appreciate you joining us here to talk through pass rushers uh, here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk again soon, man.
0: Good to see you, Fran.
1: Great stuff from Chris. You could follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Joel91. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out today to someone who did just that. Coach 48 left a five-star review saying, Really enjoy you and Coach Billick going back and forth on the history of his playbook. Coach, thanks so much for listening to the episode uh, last week with Brian Billick. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm glad that you guys uh, did as well. We got several great comments uh, on Apple Podcasts just about that show in particular last week. And really appreciate you all uh, you know, throwing us your support. That was a really fun one to do. I've got some other ideas of some other ones we're going to hit here in the next few weeks. But uh, hope you guys enjoyed this conversation here today with Chris. Hope you enjoyed that one last week with Coach Billick. If you haven't already, Make sure you go back. It's right on our feed. You can go back and listen to that one as well. Thanks so much to Coach 48 and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here at Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade for everybody here at the Duffy House. I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on. Every day in every way.